Amen. Everyone stretch out their arms. Praise God. I'm not going to take too much time. I know we've I don't even enjoyed the worship service today. I mean, there was a real, just a, a real anointing here today. And I believe the Holy Spirit was, was speaking in many different areas. And I, I think the Lord is just opening our eyes to the greater dimension of what he wants, what he's already doing and what he wants to continue to do in our lives. Amen. How many of you believe he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all? that we could ever ask or think. You see, our minds are limited by our past and what we think about ourselves and our identity and our failure and our weakness. And the devil constantly works every day to remind people on how limited or how weak you are and what people would think about you. But aren't you glad that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty? And the freedom that that comes, it's not hype, it's the kind of liberty that is because of the blood of Jesus that makes you right with God. Not something you can earn, but it makes you right with Him. In fact, the one thing that He wants to do is release the joy of the Lord in your life. It's the joy, amen, the Bible says it's His joy that gives us strength. And so we, we need to be people of the joy. Everyone say joy. Say this with me also. I got it. I got it. And there, you, you, you need, need to understand that you really do have it. I want to share a few words with you, but go ahead and slip my slides on there. Just some pictures of Cambodia. But before, as they're doing that, I want to share with you, if you take your Bibles out to John chapter 1 real quick this morning, I want to share with you, and I want you to remember this title this morning. It's entitled Becoming... A walking revival. Well, everyone say that. Becoming a walking revival. Say that again. Becoming a walking. God wants you to become a walking and a living revival. The word revival is taken from the word, word, root word revive, which means to bring the dead back to life. There's a lot of people in a lot of dead religion Dead theology, they're in a lot of, they're stuck in ruts and God wants to revive you and not only revive you, but to bring your own personal revival. You know, a lot of people are saying things like this. Have you heard about what's going on over there or over there or over here? Jesus said the kingdom of God is not there or here. It's in you. Everyone say in me. You see, so I need to start looking inside and drawing from what Paul said in uh, Romans, that there is a treasure from within that I need to draw from. You see, because Jesus just didn't die to save you from your sins so you can get to heaven. How many of you believe he died to bring and raise you up to your standard of life and living and thoughts and your relationships you have the best marriage. You have the best kids. You're walking, you might be walking through the fire and through some floods right now, but God has some things in your life that you, He wants, has allowed you, He's allowing you to walk through right now so He can raise your dead. If you feel dead in something, you need to start rejoicing. Because you know what? Guess what? You can't have a resurrection without something dying. And if you're going through some death, 
Maybe we, 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 we were praying this morning as uh, Leanne came up here and talked about the release of the dream. Maybe you've walked through the death of a dream. Maybe you've experienced the death of some things in your life that you thought should have come to pass. But may I say this to you right now? That the death of a dream does not mean the end of the dream. It simply means that God has delayed his timing because he's preparing you for something that's so much bigger than what you could handle. Because God doesn't delay. He doesn't pull back. He doesn't disqualify you. You disqualify yourself. We disqualify ourselves by our small-minded thinking, our small-minded living. We, we disqualify ourselves because of failure. Guess what? Failure does not disqualify you. Being divorced doesn't qualify you. Being an addict doesn't disqualify you. Being in sin doesn't disqualify you. Because the blood of Jesus has made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus right now. And see, when you begin to walk in the power of that kind of revival, when your mind is revived in the spirit of revival, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, which is resurrection life, that is working in the spirit of your mind. Some people, I've had people, you know, Pastor Ray, you live in a fantasy world. No, it's not a fantasy world at all. We call those things that are not as though they are. It's called Faith. Everyone say faith. You know, when I went over to uh, Cambodia here, I was preaching in, fr- in, in one of the outreach churches. They got about 200 outreach churches. By the way, you know what's amazing? By the way, when David Galligan prays over you, you should listen to it. Uh, one thing he prayed over me, you know, I, I spent weeks studying and preparing and just uh, for, for the messages and the series and the things that I might be teaching while I was over there. And I get over there. And uh, I was invited. The very first meeting I went to was a staff meeting. And it was, is, is, and there, by the way, do you know right now that uh, New Life, their church is called New Life Fellowship over there in Phnom Penh. It is considered a mega church in Phnom Penh, the biggest church, the largest church in the nation of Cambodia. They have 200 outreach churches, and God is moving throughout that nation. In fact, it's overtaking Buddhism. In fact, the government has endorsed New Life Church. And listen to this. Chuck was telling me, Chuck, as the assistant in the uh, ministry over there, he was saying this, there is so much corruption in the leadership, in the politicians, in the leadership, in the banking, and the economic infrastructure of the nation that they're personally asking for the English graduates from the New Life Foundation here, because these guys are coming out. First of all, it's illegal to teach Christianity in Cambodia because it's a Buddhist nation. But they allow them to teach English. uh, They've allowed them to teach the Bible so that they would teach their people English. Well, guess what? They said, well, the way we teach English is we teach them the Bible. Well, the Cambodians didn't know the difference. So they said, well, go ahead and teach your Bible. But, but don't convert anybody. Well, guess what happens? You can't be taught English and hear the Word of God very long. How many of you know light overcomes darkness and truth overcomes across air and, and love overco- overcomes corruption? All of a sudden, the, the, they, these kids start hearing. They're learning English, but while they're learning English, they're starting to hear about purpose and destiny and 
why I'm here and whatever I've walked through and come through, that God is able to turn and make all things work together for good because light overcomes darkness and I am not... I'm not scum, I'm not a bum, I'm not poor, I'm not a victim, I'm not just a a product of my circumstances, but I'm a son, I'm not an orphan anymore. These kids are getting saved, and what's happening is they're graduating and producing kids with integrity, with character, and the government and people in high places are asking for their graduates. And it's beginning to impact the nation because they tell the truth. They don't cheat with money. They don't rip people off. And the government is saying, we we want your kids. We want your kids in places because we actually trust them. Isn't that a novel idea in politics? To trust the people that serve the nation. But it all started with a dream. It all started with someone who had the ability to recognize that they are a walking revival. And here's what what the gospel is. The good news is bigger than just getting you to heaven. The gospel is so much bigger than just you being set free from your sins and just, oh, Lord, just fix my life so I can get through it. By the way, do you know statistically that the majority of Americans that go to church today go to church so that they just just get my life fixed? God wants to do more than fix your life. He doesn't want just to put a spare tire on your life. He actually wants to renew, rejuvenate, renew your mind, your vision, your destiny. He wants to lift your faith, enlarge your heart, enlarge your vision. He wants to expand your your mind so you begin to see problems as opportunities that are hidden in a situation where you begin to work the supernatural. How many of you know you can't experience or see miracles happen until you become and you realize that you are the answer to a problem? The thing that brings the greatness of God out of you is when you're in a problem and you recognize God has me here to be the answer to the problem. Oh, Pastor Ray, you're elevating yourself. No, 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 no. There's nothing in me. There's nothing in you by yourself. How many of you know that by ourselves we are nothing? Apart from Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit. But it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And see, when I begin to focus on what Christ is in me, see, I live from the inside out, not from the outside in. I'm living that way. That way, I am not allowing the outside to affect my inside. And see, if psychologists and psychiatrists would begin to look at people from the spirit realm, from the inside out rather than from the outside in, we wouldn't be medicating 85% of our Americans today that think that medication is the answer to their problem. Getting drunk, getting doped up, getting drugged up, giving... And by the way, I'm not saying don't go to a doctor, but I'm just telling you right now that when the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, there is a constant momentum, there is a constant life that is raising dead things. It is opening your eyes, it is opening your heart and opening your mind. Can you say amen? 
Now, see, I, I got to kind of uh, come to understand this. This kind of a message was the message that was rejected in Jesus' day. You're a walking revival. Anyway, just going back to what I was saying when David was prophesying in John before I left for Cambodia, um, in short, uh, David said, you know, Dad, I don't think you're going to be using your notes. And I said, okay, okay, Lord. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a guy that always has, I don't know, maybe it's a crutch. I don't know. But I study. Yeah, i, I got to be honest with you. I did have a grief with God, uh, a, a gripe with God several years ago. I said, you know, Lord, you, 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 I pray, I wait on you, and you put a series on my mind, and I study. You know I'm reading, studying, writing all the time, and then I get up on Sunday, and you say, don't preach it. What a waste. It's, just not, it's not a waste, right? It's just not my time. I'll never forget the first time I ever went down to prophesy at my home church. And, and I, I, I came down. We had a church of 2,000 people. And I came down to the mic like I usually do. And I came down. And they had elders there. And I, I was shaken to death. And, and I'll never forget the first time I came down, they said, uh, not now. Go back to your seat. So I went back to my seat. And I said to myself, I will never prophesy again, <laughs> never again. I went down, and now I'm embarrassed. I feel like I so miss God. I mean, I had this attitude with God. Do you know God will allow you to go through th those kind of seasons? You know why he'll do that? Because he's going to test your motive. He will test you. And, and, so, but, and then the second time. I mean, I let like two years go by before I prophesied again. So I went down the second time. And when I got down and I took a hold of the mic, and I'll never forget taking a hold of the mic, and I looked at the people. And I couldn't say a word. I just, thus saith the Lord, uh, God is good. I, me I remember just stumbling, stuttering. And I had this college kid come up to me. I'll never forget his his name was David Mack, and he comes up to me and says, you know, Ray, can I give you a word of advice like I needed this? He says, can I give you a word of advice? Don't go down and prophesy until you know you got a word from God. Thank you for the encouragement. And, and I, I made this decision. I am done with prophecy. Well, guess what I come to realize later on? That many times the thing that God calls you to, you will go through a season where you're tested, even rejected. You'll go through a season where the devil will fight you and say, you can't do it. Look, look at the fool you just made yourself. But many times the thing God calls you to is the thing that as you begin to do it, but see, here's, here's, here's part of our problem, is our concept and th thinking about church life. We actually think that, well, we, we shouldn't do anything because the altars are holy up here, and the Pope is here, and there's, you know, something up here, and that we can't grow. I almost wish we could have changed our church name to call the living room. You know, uh, where, where people can relax. And uh, yeah, I don't know about you, but when I had babies, they pooped in the living room. They learned to walk in the living room. They learned to crawl. They burped in the living room. They learned, 
Uh, may, may I suggest that the house of God is a place where we learn, we grow, we, we let people fail. Failure is not failure unless you don't learn the lessons from what you walk through. Failure is when you stay down and never get up. That's what disqualifies you. It's, it's not that God disqualifies It's because you disqualify yourself because what it really came down to is the Lord began to convict me. He said, Ray, before you become a living revival, you've got to realize that revival is not about you, and it's all about what you think about, what you look about, and what you, what, what you think about yourself. You've got to get over you. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, get over you. Oh, no, now, now say, I love you anyway, praise God. Get, get over you. I, I've got to learn to get, get over myself. You may say, well, how is that? Because growing in your anointing and growing in revival and growing in power, growing in strength is a process of learning to crawl and walk, and you're going to poop your pants, you're going to fall on your face, you're going to burp a few times, you're going to really mess up. And I want to say, in Jesus' name, it's okay. And some of you may say, yeah, but I've been divorced, or I've sinned, or I've been an addict in the past. Let me tell you something, where sin abounds, His grace, His power, His love all the more abounds. In fact, do you know that God chose men that were really awkward and just out? They weren't really with it. I'm talking about the disciples. The Lord uses people and He used them and they turned the world around. But here in this place in Cambodia, I'm here and I was at a staff meeting and the staff meeting turns into a prophetic assembly. And I just had one word of knowledge after another. And, and then Chuck, in about in the middle of the week, says, Ray, uh, I think we won't have you preach. I think we'll have you just minister like that. And so they just wanted me to just go through the churches and just call people out. And it was amazing, the grace, the grace of God. Uh, and I, I, I say this to the glory of God on this, but the amazing accuracy was phenomenal. Uh, you know, we, I don't do a lot of word of knowledge and prophetic assembly here, and there, there's a reason why. is because you're my church family. We're church family. I know you. You know me. I can't say hardly anything here without all of you knowing that I know you. But where, I, where a prophet really if I can use the word sores or flies, is when he is amongst people he doesn't know. Because that's what validates the prophetic word, is when you're among people you don't know and they don't know you. And so it was phenomenal how the prophetic was flowing, the accuracy of it. And uh, an, an interesting thing happened. Uh, just churches, all there are 200 churches and others were just saying... Can, can he come over here and minister? And I, I had a couple pastors say, Pastor Ray, you don't even have to preach, just prophesy. Is that okay? We know you got a word, but just prophesy. And I thought, well, yeah, I could do that. Uh, i got to be honest with you, it's not what I wanted to do, but it wasn't about what I want. You know, there's times where, how many of you believe it's his house? And we've we got to learn to flow with his, his agenda, his house. But, but I know that in that setting, 
it, it was not anything that was planned on. There was a lot of things confirmed, affirmed, imparted, because that's the purpose. I felt like a one-man presbytery. I literally was bushed, completely wiped out by the end of the week. In fact, the very, very last church, I just wanted to come. Go ahead and switch to the other clips. Uh, just uh, ministering again over different people. Go to the next one. Uh, that's all we have. All right. John 1. Jump with me to John chapter 1. My time is really moving here. John chapter 1, it says, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld what? His glory. Everyone say glory. I want you to really get this. The Word became flesh. Now, I know when we read this, we think, well, this is talking about Jesus, and it is. Jesus was the Word that became flesh. He was the living Word from heaven, the living bread to nourish and nurture our lives. But how many of you know that we are made in His image? We are created in His likeness. If you have been baptized in water, three things happened. You died with Him. You were buried with Him. That means out of sight. Everyone say out of sight. Now look at your neighbor and say, I don't know, I no longer know you the way you used to be. See, because what do you do with a dead body? You bury it. There's a reason why you bury dead things. So you can never remember it. So it never comes back to life again. Do you know that there are some people that have been dead and buried dead? but they have never been buried. How do you know? How do you know that? Well, if you continue to bring things up if, from people's past, you have not affirmed their baptism. It's not your business to bring someone else's past up because they're dead and buried. And when they're buried, that means... They're not. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we therefore know no man after the flesh. What, what was that for? It was so that Paul could be all that he was called to be. In fact, they went so far as to changing their names because name changes was equated with nature change. My nature is changed. I have a new nature. You're a living, walking revival because your nature. The Bible says that Jesus became the flesh and dwelt and we beheld. Listen to me. The world needs to see His glory, but it's only going to become when the Word becomes flesh. What does that mean? It means when you begin to rise up and begin to live and walk and think and begin to call those things that are not as though they are, and you begin to recognize, I can raise the dead, I can heal the sick, I can speak a word of knowledge, I can move in the prophetic, I can change the atmosphere. It's not about me, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. See, they must, the word must become flesh. And dwell. It must dwell. Everyone say dwell. Now you may say, well, Pastor Ray, come on. This is just historical theology here. This, this has nothing to do with present day theology. Well, you better read Romans 10. Because the Bible says that Jesus, who was created, was the firstborn among many brethren. 
He was the firstborn among many that are to follow him. There's fathers. You have the spirit of the Father on you. You have the spirit of the Son upon you. You have the spirit of honor and glory. John 17 is really, truly the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus said, Father, the glory you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one that the world might know. Let me tell you something. Some of us right now are walking through some serious issues, problems. Some of you are being challenged with things that are beyond the scope of your understanding. Let me tell you why you're walking through that. You're going through some stuff that is just stretching, pulling you, stressing you, pulling you apart. And you're coming to your wit's end. I'm here to tell you re- part of the reason why you're going through that. And I want you to jump over back with me into Hebrews. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Becoming a walking revival. Are we all there this morning? Matthew 13, verse 44. Matthew 13. I, I spoke on this verse a couple of weeks ago. It says, this, it says this in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he hides it again. He found it. Now, it doesn't say that he was seeking. It just said he found it. The word there in the Greek means he discovered it. But it was hidden. Everyone say hidden. Do you know that there's a treasure hidden in you? It's hidden. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure Hidden in a field. Now, the field represents life. It represents problems, circumstances. It represents all the garbage, the crap, all the junk that you have been walking through. It represents your marriage. It represents the kids in your home. It represents the job you're at. It represents, you may say, well, I can't see any treasure. It's hidden, and guess what? It's accessible. It's hidden, but you don't see it. He calls it the kingdom. Now, the word kingdom there is a word translated, which means royal authority and royal placement. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man finds and hides for the joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and then he buys the field. By the way, this has nothing to do with salvation. The scripture has nothing to do, because if it did, it means that we're going back under the law. It has nothing to do with what you do to get a treasure. It has nothing to do. This has to do with you understanding the anointing and the power that rests upon you or in you because of the kingdom of heaven and the power. All of you this morning, if you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, there are three things that you possess because of that. And I want you to say this thing with me. Number one, power. Jesus said you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Amen?
Now that power means ability, supernatural ability. The second thing that you possess is that you possess identity. Say identity. My identity is a son. In other words, there's a DNA. I look like my father. I act like my father. I have the power and the presence and the atmosphere of heaven to go into dark places and transform it. But I've got to speak up. I've got to let my light shine. Jesus said, you are salt and you are light. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are awful bright this morning. There's a brightness, there's a glory, there's a rest. Now, some of you didn't do that, praise God, in Jesus' name. I want you to look at that neighbor and say, there's, you're bright this morning. But let me tell you something. One of the reasons we don't do that is because we tend to look not at the treasure. Our eyes are hidden because all we see is the filth. All we see is the junk. But we don't realize there's a treasure in the junk. That's why there's hope for everybody. That's why there's hope. Jesus said it's a treasure hid in the field. And when he finds it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field. Now, there is an anointing. The third thing after identity, after power, the third thing is I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. Okay, that's, that's why I possess power. To be seated with Christ in heavenly places means that Jesus has given me dominion and authority over my enemies. Say this, I am more than a conqueror. That means before the battle began, you already won. The devil can't win. In fact, everything he has thrown at you, you will always are so buoyant you keep bouncing like a little ball under. You try to push a ball underwater, bing, it just bounces back up because you're so buoyant because of the power that is inside of you. Now, we need to recognize what's inside rather than looking on the outside. Amen? You know, one thing I tell people that wrestle with addictions you're not a survivor, you're not just surviving. Well, thank God I've had five years of sobriety. Oh, I'm an alcoholic survivor. No, you're not a survivor. You're an overcomer. Because when you understand the word justification, the word justification is so powerful, it means as though your sin never even happened. So you can't be a survivor. It's as though you, it, it never even happened. I've been to some alcoholic anonymous and drug addicts and say, well, let's all repeat, I am an addict. I am an addict. I am an addict. I'm weak. I'm weak. I'm an addict. I'm poor. I'm poor. I'm a slave to this problem. I'm so glad I recognize my weakness that I'm just a slave and an addict to my problem. Guess what? What you confess is the level you stay at. When you begin to call those things that are not as though they are, it raises you out of that place of death and you start bringing revival to the people and the situation around you. But you've got to open 
your mouth. Do you know why God gave you a mouth? To change your weak, wicked mind. I'm going to get to it. We let our thoughts control. We let our emotions control. We let what people said control us. We let what, yeah, but I never forgot what my father said. I was dumb and stupid and I never amount to nothing. You've got to learn to rise up and say, God's word is becoming flesh in my life. And I'm going to let the glory of God have preeminence. I'm a king's son. I've got a new identity. I'm baptized in the Holy Ghost. I've got a walk of faith that can transform and make a difference. I'm a man. I'm a woman of breakthrough. Now you may say, well, Pastor Ray, you know, that just all sounds really nice and cozy. But the reality is, man, that's just not the way it is. I heard a story. I heard of a story of, of a guy he was into real estate, and he went out to buy uh, kind of trashy houses and junker houses, and he uh, runs across the house, and this real estate fella told him, he says, I, I got a house that's pretty cheap. It's only $10,100. house. It's kind of It's kind of in a bad part of the neighborhood, and the house is run down. Uh, but uh, if you want to buy it, I'll show it to you. So, and him and his wife said, sure, we'll go and look at it. So they go and they look at this house uh, for 10000 and when they drive up, the house is, it, it looks like a shack. It's, it's, it's fallen apart. It's dilapidated, dry rots everywhere. They start walking through. They could tell that it was even a drug house, that rats and dogs and animals through the neighborhood had, was even living in the house. And, and the, man, the man just, the wife said, honey, I, th- I, I think there's some real potential in Buying this house, he says, no way, man. There's no way I'm going to buy this house for $10,000. I, I don't even think I'd spend $5,000 for this house. I mean, this, this is a piece of junk in a bad area. And she says, well, let's kind of look around. And so they were looking around and kind of going up. And he, he, he uh, just really said, honey, I, I don't want to buy this piece of trash. I know it's $10,000. But we'd probably end up putting thirty, forty, fifty thousand in just to bring it up to some livability. And and she says, "Well, let's just look around at the yard." And so they went around, and and, and uh, he he comes up. It was a two-story house, and uh, by the name, the, I found I was reading this article by the name of the, the name of the guy was David Gonzalez, and he he goes to the second story, and he looks upstairs, and, and he notices an attic door. And uh, he gets a ladder. He says, I, I want to look at the attic. I want to see what the kind of insulation is. And it's a much, much older home. And I don't know, how many here have ever remember homes that used to be made out of lath and plaster? The walls were lath and plaster. I mean, uh, that really dates some of us here. Uh, how many of you remember when insulation was made out of paper? It wasn't fiberglass. Well, the, he, he goes up, and the paper, it, it, he goes up there, and it has this dingy, gross smell and he's looking around this attic and he's wondering and just wanted, he wanted to check the wiring and didn't know if it was a fire trap if, if he was going to buy it if he's going to have to do a little bit of renovation in the wiring of the place the venting of the place things of that nature up there in the attic and while, while he's up there he notices in the far distant corner two boxes really old dust was in them and he goes way, way over there, and as he gets into the boxes, he noticed that they're comic books, just, just old, dingy, half 
Some of them were ripped up, stripped up, and water was on them. Some of them were ruined. And he just flipping through these magazines, which, which were all comic books, two boxes of comic books. When he was a boy, this man, he was a comic fanatic. He used to collect comic books. But he runs across a comic book that was the holy grail of comic books. It was the very first edition of the Superman comic book. The very first first edition. The back page was slightly ripped. But he, all of a sudden, his attitude changes. He tucks the, bu- tucks the uh, comic book under some insulation, underneath, near the eaves, puts the books back, kind of sprinkles some insulation on the boxes to make it look like it was never bothered. And he goes back to the crawl space, comes down and says, Honey, I think we need to buy this house. And she looks at him, Wow, what was your change? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. I just, I, I think this is a good deal. I think this is a real good deal. What changed your mind up there? Oh, nothing, nothing. Not, nothing, nothing. I, I think, I think, I looked at the electrical, and, you know, he's kind of half lying. Uh, the electrical looks good. It's, we, need, we, we probably need to update the insulation, this, that, but I think it's a great deal. And he comes to the real estate guy, and the, the wife and the real estate uh, guy was really surprised at David Gonzalez's attitude about such a shift in his paradigm shift in his attitude about the house because it was so negative, and this is a piece of trash, and I don't want this thing. And so finally, he comes down and he says, uh, I, I think I want to buy the house. He says, well, we got to go through escrow. He says, I, can I write a checkout right now? I, I, I want to I write a checkout. What, what, why do you want to write a checkout right now? All of a sudden, the wife and the real estate guy start becoming, what happened to you up there in that attic? Oh, nothing, nothing. I just, I just, I just, it just dawned on me. This is a, this is a good house. Well, he didn't want to say anything. Until he got, but, but he says, I, I want to write a check now for this house. Because the guy found something he believed that was possibly a treasure. Well, he gets the house. He, ha- he found the comic book, but he knew he didn't own the house. How many of you know if you're going to own the treasure, you've got to buy the junk? And sometimes we want the treasure, but we don't want to walk through the junk and have to go through all the junk that we are. Anyway, he, he buys the house. He takes the comic book, gets a hold of it. He finally tells his wife, honey, the reason is it's because the reason why I bought the house is because I found the first edition of Superman. She knew nothing about comic books. She says, you mean to tell me we bought this house because you wanted a comic book? He said, I know it sounds crazy, but I think there's some money in this thing. I mean, he, she was livid. She says, it better be worth something or it will be on you. And so he takes this comic book down to some people who could authenticate and look at this and, and observe it. And the guy, when he looks at this thing, he says, do you know how many editions of this first edition there really are? There was only about 
two to three hundred first editions. He says, but because of the back page being ripped, it went from a 3.0 to a 1.0, which I don't know what that means, but 1.0 has to do with the conditioning with co- in the comic book world. But anyway, he ended up receiving $79,000 for that comic book, which more than paid for the house. And she says, I like comic books too. <laughs> she says, is there any more comic books up there? You know, there, there was no, no other... But here's my point. You never know what's in a piece of trash. Sometimes we never realize what can be in some people until we begin to really look. How many of you know God sees the treasure? We see the trash. I want to take you to a scripture in Luke chapter 4. And my time is moving. Luke chapter 4. Notice this, what happens. This is Jesus' first sermon Jesus' first sermon in his hometown of Nazareth. And you all know this text. It says, verse 16, Luke 4, 16. And he comes to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And his custom was that when he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, he stood up and read. And he was handed the book of Isaiah. He opened the book, verse 17, and he found the place where it was, where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, to uh, recover of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable. Then he closes the book. He gives it back to the attendant. He sits down, and all the eyes of those in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he said to them, Today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I want you to get something right now. Jesus, up until this time, was a carpenter. But now he steps into a new dimension with a new identity as the Lamb of God, as the Son of God. Now, notice what happens. Notice the reaction. Verse 22. And they all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. But they said this, Is this not Joseph's son? Point number two. One of the reasons why we don't become a revival is because of familiarity. Where do you go to church? Oh, just, just, just open heavens. You know that church. They're small. You know the people there. Yeah. It's, they're just Joseph's sons. How many times do we belittle something that God wants to make great? We belittle it because we're, fam- we're familiar with it. We know it one way. But God is saying, it's time to change the way we look at things. It's time to change the way we look at ourselves. It's time to change the way we look at ourselves. It's time to change the way we look at others. When someone, hey, who's preaching tonight? Oh, I, uh, Joe Blow's preaching tonight. I, I think we'll stay home from church because I don't like his preaching. How many of you believe it's time to start changing the way we look at other people? It starts at, you know what? I'm going there with expectancy. I believe God's going to bring a great word. 
instead of who's who's preaching, who's speaking. I know Bill Johnson was here. Now, Bill Johnson, Chris Cop, Chris Wallinson's here. Now, by the way, I'm, I'm heroes. I'm fans of them too. But I think God wants to begin to bring a paradigm shift in our thinking where we begin to recognize the treasure besides the trash and besides the weakness. In other words, notice what happens. They were so caught up and stumbled at Jesus being the son of Joseph, they couldn't embrace the miraculous and power. And then this is Jesus' first sermon. By the way, I think I'd lose half the church if I preached this ne- these next words. Because Jesus says this. He said to them, You will surely say to me, Physician, heal yourself. In other words, Jesus, you're a nutcase. If you claim to be a miracle worker, you need to start with yourself. Whatever we have heard in Capernaum do here. What, he, what they're really doing is mocking his miraculous, the miracles. He'd heard about the miracles. Okay, if you call yourself the Son of God, do some miracles here. Show us some signs. And notice what Jesus says. This, this is amazing. This here is why revival doesn't come. Right here, listen to what Jesus said. Assuredly, I say to you that no prophet is accepted in his own country. And I tell you the truth that many widows were in Israel. In other words, listen, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up. They were there for six year, uh, three years and six months and a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them Elijah was sent except Zarephath in the region of Zidon to a woman who was a widow Verse 27, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman, a Syrian. God was basically saying this, you were my chosen people, but I had to overlook you because there was no faith. There was no faith in you guys. So God bypassed his people and went to the Gentiles. And what he is saying here is this. You guys have become so familiar with the way you think it always is going to be. But he says, because of that, visitation's going to pass right over you. That's what Jesus said. Now, how many of you would like to stay in that church? By the way, this would not be a popular message on TV. Because what Jesus is saying here is this. You guys, you guys, there were needs. Listen listen to me. Jesus is saying there were many lepers under Elisha's day, and there were many needs. There was a famine, and there were many widows under Elisha's day. In other words, he's saying this. God doesn't respond to needs. He responds to faith. Even though there were needs... How many of you have ever come? God, I have a need. Don't you even know what I'm going through? I've got needs. God says, I know you've got needs, but I'm, I, my sovereignty is limited because I can only move where there's faith. I don't know about you, but I've been there. I said, God, where are you at? I said, I've been here all the time. In fact, the treasure 
was hidden from their eyes. It was right in their midst, and they didn't even see it. Do you know why? Because they were not coming with any expectancy. How many of you know that you can only get out of anything that you expect to get? If you come to church, where, where are you going to church? Well, we're just going to new life today. Open up. Who is, who's going to pray for you? Well, you know, it's just Brother Ray going to pray for me. Brother David, I guess, will pray for me. I guess my husband will pray for me. I think he's got some, some faith. I don't but how about saying, you know what? The glory of God is on them. God's power is there. How many of you know, what I'm talking about is a paradigm shift. I'm not, I don't know about you folks, but I'm changing the way I look at myself. Some of you may say, well, pastor, that sounds a little bit arrogant and proud. No, no, it's not, it's not Ray. It's Christ in Ray, the hope of glory. Ray is, Ray has zero ability. Ray has nothing to offer you, nothing. But I have the Holy Spirit. I have the blood of Jesus. I have the promises of His Word. And I want you to know, and I say this not just by faith. I say it. I believe this house is going to be packed out. Do you want to to hear a miracle that just happened this week? I came back. I was still suffering from jet lag. And I was out weed-eating the churchyard. And right out here by our outside water thing, our water where you turn the water onto the whole church property, I was out there weed eating and, and sweating it out and just kind of wiped out it because the very next day I was out weed eating. And a woman stops in, pulls into the church, and she rolls down her car. She was in an, in an SUV, rolls down her window, and she says, the Lord just told me to give this to you. And I looked at it, and it was a $500 check. She'd never been to New Open Heavens before, never. And she says, I, I just want to say, I, I think this church is on the verge of something. She's never come here before. I said, I receive that. Praise God. I receive that. But she said that, I think, I think this church is on the verge of something. And I went back to weed eating. And it was like the Lord said, Ray, stop weed eating. You know, because I was trying to get the weed eating done. And the Lord, the Lord said, stop weed eating. Stop, stop. Because I, I took the check, put it in my wallet. I was going to put it in the box, you know, the tie the, and, and did you just hear, Ray, what I said to you? I literally stopped the weed eater. This church is on the verge of something. And I, I, I had to let that just soak in. I'm not kidding you, John. This is, I, I got the box. The check's in the box. A woman that we, Carol does, we've, this particular individual, who knows, I've got to have been an angel, I don't know. But, but this, this woman just stopped in the Holy Spirit. I, the Lord was saying, this church is on the verge of something. And the Lord just said to stop and have me sow into this. I said, well, you are free to come back. We'd love to see you if you ever come back. But here's the point. I want, in closing, I know my time's come, but I've got to take you back into Romans 10. And I'm going to, just give me five minutes, Romans 10. I want to show you something. Listen to this. Romans 10, verse 20. 
Romans 10, verse 20. It says, by Isaiah is very bold and says this. I was found, remember Hebrews 13, 44 now. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. But here, Paul says, I was found by those who did not seek me. And was manifest by those who did not ask for me. He's talking about the Gentiles. But to Israel, he says, all day long. Everyone say, all day long. God is saying this all day long. I've had my hand stretched out to a disobedient and contrary people. Now notice it says, I was found by those who did not seek me. Now I want you to jump over back to chapter 9. And I want you to see something in verse 30. What shall we say then? Chapter 9, Romans 9, verse 30. What shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, notice this, they pursued the law of righteousness, has not attained the law of righteousness. Why? Verse 32. Because they did not seek it by faith. But as it were, by the works of the law, therefore they stumbled at the stumbling stone. They got mad. They got upset. They were seeking God, but what they were doing, they were seeking God out of their own strength to try to earn God's righteousness. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm tithing. I'm, I'm praying more. I'm at church every Sunday. I'm, I'm at work day. I'm, I'm trying to prove to you, God, that I'm loving my wife. I'm giving her more chocolates, more flowers. I'm doing everything more I can do, I possibly can do, Lord. Don't you understand? Don't you see how hard I'm trying? Yes, I see how hard you're trying to earn your way up. Now jump down. To chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God for Israel is that they may be saved, for I bear witness that they have a zeal for God. Listen to me. It's not enough to go to a church that has a lot of zeal. Have a lot of zeal. But not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have submitted, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the what? Everyone say end. The end of the law. What does that mean? Christ is the end of the law. In other words, when you've come to the end of the law, there's a freedom and there's a liberty. There's freedom, there's liberty, there's joy. I am no longer judging myself and I'm no longer judging other people because I see the power of the blood on their lives. And Jesus' blood covers them. So I stop judging them. And I see the treasure. And I call the treasure out of them. When people come to me and say, I want you to understand, I've been going through hell and high water lately. And I'll tell you, I'm living with a woman or with a man that I just wish I could just kick 
them right into hell. I guess I'm so sick and tired of being treated like a mule. I just said, why not call out those things that are not? I won't do it until they deserve it. They need to start. If they want me to tell them they're a mighty man of God, they need to start living like a mighty man of God. I said, you're under the law. The Bible here says that the end of the law means that I am no longer looking at a person. I no longer know them after the flesh. I start looking at them and I start calling those things that are not. I said, you're healed. You're an amazing leader, amazing priest in this home. I am praying for you. I thank God for the vessel you are and the gift that you are in my life. You are amazing. And guess what? Through that word, the word which becomes flesh starts manifesting glory. How many of you want to see the glory? See, I, I, I've got to call that out. Now you may say, well, Pastor Ray, chapter and verse, I'm glad you asked. Notice what it says, verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is the law. Man does not Man who does things shall live by them. But the righteousness of, the, of faith speaks this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend unto heaven. Now let's stop there. What does that mean? Who will ascend? In other words, who is going to climb the ladder and try harder? Lord, do you see how hard I'm trying to get up to you? See? He says... Faith righteousness is not about who ascends into heaven because that's to bring Christ down from above or who will descend into the abyss. How many have ever heard people say this? You know what? I'm just, I'm so unworthy. I'm just worthy of hell. God, you just should send me to hell. I've been such a wicked, 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 wicked person. I just, I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I have no reason to lift my hands and rejoice today because I'm so filthy and I'm just unworthy. Do you know what you're really doing? You're saying that Jesus going to hell for you does not satisfy the righteousness of God. So you feel you have to go to hell for yourself. So you live in your own personal living hell going around feeling sorry for yourself by thinking that that's being righteous when really it's false humility. Do you hear what I'm saying there? Everyone say false humility. False humility is when I go around and say, Carol, I just tell you, I'm a, I'm a horrible husband. I know I'm not, I'm not worthy of you. I'm not worthy of God. I'm not worthy to be the pastor. I'm not worthy of anything. I'm, a, I'm just a dog. I'm glad you finally said that, Ray, because you really are a dog. I've heard married people talk like that. Do you know what you've done? You've actually opened the place for the demonic. You give the place for Satan because Satan is the accuser of who? The brethren. Jesus no longer accuses you. The Father no longer accuses you. And we shouldn't accuse each other. Yeah, but we, we, we still got weaknesses and we got problems and we got issues and we got the flesh. That's right. We're still, we're, we have been made perfect. The Bible says, in Hebrews 10, it says we've been made perfect, those who are being sanctified. 
we've been made perfect in the spiritual sense in our positional righteousness, which comes by faith. But I'm still in a process where I am walking out my own salvation. And that means that at walking, there's going to be times where I, I stumble and I fall on my face, but I don't stay here. God, I'm not worthy. I'm not going to go to church today because I blew it last week. I'm not worthy, oh God. But some of you say, yeah, I got, I blew it, Lord. But your blood cleanses and I confess that I messed up. But you've raised me from the dead. And I will not stay down. And I'm not an addict. I'm not a fool. I'm a mighty man of God. And you raised me. And I get up again. I don't stay down. But we think, well, yeah, but you're on your face. And that's a a real sign of humility, isn't it? I mean, you're down. And isn't that what God wants you to be flat and humble? Yeah, that's, that's, that's really letting your light shine. Well, what are you? Well, I'm just a poor, wicked old survivor, old past addict. I, I'm, don't look at me. I, I'm nothing. Jesus never said for you not to look at you. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. God wants people to look at you. But I need to look at myself differently first. I need to look at myself in the mirror and begin to see myself for who He sees me. Because it's not about me. It's Him in me. And if you don't like you, then people aren't going to like you. And you keep wallowing in self-pity and this false, false self-righteousness because you think, you think that Christ's descent into hell wasn't good enough or sufficient for you? Guess what? What you're really saying is you're insulting the cross. You're insulting what Jesus did. It's an insult to the cross. You have been born, you have been buried, and you have been raised from the dead in your mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. You are a walking revival, and there's a treasure hidden within you. And I begin to rise up. And notice what he says. Therefore, what, is the, what does it say here in verse 8? It says this. The word is near you in what? your mouth, and in your heart. Now, it's not enough to confess it. There's a lot of people giving lip service. The word of faith is not just in my mouth. You know what? I went into a bird, I went into an animal store one time over here on, uh, and they had a parrot. You know what a parrot does? This parrot mimics everything you say. Boy, you better be careful what you say because it literally mimics everything you say. A parrot. There's Christians today that are spiritual parrots. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus, but not really. See, the Bible says that the word of faith has to not only be in your mouth, but it has to be in your heart. That means it has to affect my attitude. It has to affect my vision. It affects my walk. Do you know what? Some of us, sometimes, some of us don't even realize this, but the devil works on you Saturday night and Sunday not to be in the house of the Lord. 
He'll work on you not to come to the house of God. He'll work on you so you don't forgive your spouse. He'll work on you so you won't tithe. He'll work on you so you always have an excuse. The devil does that. Well, I'm not worthy. And I'm not under the law either. Praise God. No, that, that, that's not the purpose of grace. Grace brings out the beauty and the perfection of Jesus in my life. He, here, he says here that the word of which we hear is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever believes him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich, rich, rich. He's rich to all who call upon him. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can you say amen? Amen. You have a treasure. It's hidden. Now, Now remember this. Why does Jesus allow the treasure to be hidden? Because he doesn't, he doesn't hide it to keep it from you. But he hides it so that you'll discover it. He hides it so you will find it. How many here have kids? And when you've given them gifts, in five minutes you notice they don't like it anymore. Mary knows that? <clears throat> but when they work for it or earn it, not now this has nothing to do with salvation. Because the Bible says here about the man with the treasure, when he discovered it, notice what he does. Three things. He hides it again. In other words, you will never validate or recognize how precious and how important something is until you discover it for yourself. God wants you to discover it. In other words, listen, I cannot exist on someone else's anointing. It's got to be. God wants you to. He, he knew that before he could own the treasure, he had to buy the field. You can't preach someone else's sermon. You can't preach someone else's testimony. You have to buy the field before it carries any power and weight and worth. You hear what we're talking about? There's a difference between salvation and anointing. There's an anointing that has to be paid for. You have to pay for an anointing. I don't pay for salvation, but if you want the power, you're going to have to walk through a field and buy the field. Some of you may not realize it right now, but you're buying a field. You're walking through stuff, and you don't know, why am I walking through this stuff? There's a treasure that's within your grasp. It's around you like Jesus was in the synagogue. They, they were blinded. And let me tell you what blinds you from the treasure. Pride, familiarity, you know somebody, and you begin to put them in classes. Oh, they are not going to really go anywhere with God because I know them. How dare we do that to people? I never want to classify anybody. I want to release people to their full potential. How many believe we should do that? Becoming a living, walking revival. 
Amen. Let's stand to our feet, shall we? I know my time is way over here, but maybe this morning you may say, you know, Pastor Ray, I know there is potential, and I know there's destiny, and I know that God has put something in my life. But I have been so caught up with the problem or with the issue, or maybe maybe you've come out of a religious past, and there's no freedom in your life. You haven't come to discover the treasure, and that's Christ in you. It's not about you, but it's what Christ has done inside of you. That's why Paul could rejoice. That's why Paul, of all people, he's a terrorist. God could use him. But he was also rejected. Paul suffered a lot of rejection and persecution. There was a price. I have a message, turning perils into pearls. Paul talks about the perils of his ministry in Corinthians. But you can't get the pearl until you go through the peril. There's perils to get to the pearl. It has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with carrying an anointing, a fresh anointing. Maybe this morning you may say, you know, Pastor Ray, I believe I'm, I'm in a time and a season where there's a shifting going on in my life. I believe the Holy Spirit is bringing a shift even into this congregation. I believe a fresh anointing is here. I believe that. I believe, I, I believe God is going to begin to just stir your mind, your heart, your dreams, your thoughts. I, I like what Randy did, laying your, his hand on your head this morning. I, I, I do that often. I just say, Father, give me a clear mind. Give me the mind of Christ. Lord, I just pray right now that my mind would be released from any un- unbelief or small-mindedness. And I, I thank you, Father, right now that you've given me the mind of Christ. By the way, does anybody here know a, a woman by the name of Sarah? Does anybody know, okay, know a woman by the, I see one woman. Does anybody here have a name of Sarah? The name of Sarah. Okay, you know a person? Okay. Huh? Okay. That wasn't, this was a complete stranger. Although, well, my, my, my spirit, early this morning, I just now remember this. I felt like somebody comes to church here that knows a Sarah. And the Lord has given you a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom to speak into Sarah's life. And she is walking through some things right now that needs encouragement. And she needs friendship and support. And I really felt the Lord impress on me just to speak to you, to not hesitate to draw near. And to begin to pray, literally pray over her. By the way, folks, do you know you don't have to pray for Christians only? You can pray over sinners. Watch God work when you pray over unbelievers. It will blow their minds. God will work for you. Father, we just pray for Sarah. I don't don't know why that was revealed to me, but I I pray right now for comfort, wisdom, and an impartation to be given to Sarah this morning. I ask us all, Lord, to lift our vision. Let us not be like what happened in Jesus' day in Nazareth, who got so caught up with the things that were hidden because they just knew Jesus 
as what he used to be and not what he was called to be. God, help us to overcome. Help us to rise up and to begin to see people and what they're called to be and not what we see them in their weaknesses or even shortcomings. Help us to call out by faith in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Give someone a hug this morning.